Alright, we are in the book of Revelation tonight, chapter 2, and I want you to go to verse 18 when you get there. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. We're talking about the church at Thyatira tonight. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. Now I'll tell you, here's another prayer request for you. I, uh, I'm working hard throughout the week uh, to try to get as far ahead in my sermons and on the book of Revelation as I possibly can. Because I know there are some difficult ones that are coming up that I'm going to need a lot of time to prepare for. So I'm working hard right now. I'm looking at the, the seven seals and uh, over in chapter 6 and, and 7 and 8. And uh, so I'm working on, a, uh, on the message on the, the seven seals. I worked on it last week. I'm going to have to do some more work on it this week. So y'all just be praying for me. Um, because I'll tell you, you know, Revelation is difficult enough as it is. And so then you go try to seek out other sources. You, you look at what this commentary says or what this guy says about it. Maybe some pastor that preached about it over here or some over there. And uh, I'll tell you, this is no lie. If I read 10 commentaries or I look at what 10 different preachers have to say about chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, I'm going to get 10 different answers. It's 10 different. And uh, I'm beginning to think I can guess as best as they can, you know. Uh, and so, but I don't want to do that. I, you know, that's, that's when we started out. You know, my approach is I want to look at what the Bible says about this. And so I, I'm trying to, to stay as true to the biblical text as I possibly can uh, without getting in too much fantasy. Or, or uh, I know that's captivating, but I just want, I want us to see what God's Word has to say. Let the Spirit do the grabbing of hearts and, um, you know, and, and illuminating of minds, things like that. Uh, just pray for me as I'm putting these messages together because I do believe this is an important book. I believe it's an important subject, and uh, especially when we get into the, the prophetic uh, portion of this. But uh, y'all just pray for God's Spirit to, uh, to guide and direct me as I study uh, for these messages. We're in Revelation chapter 2 tonight, verse 18. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18, and uh, we're just going to read the rest of the chapter here. He says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who has his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you, because you suffer that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds." And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put on you none of the burden, but that which you already hold, or which you have already, excuse me, he says, hold fast till I come. And he that overcomes and keeps my words unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now let's bow once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you use the words that I've spoken tonight uh, from this text. Lord, guide and direct. I pray that your word will not return unto you void. I pray that your spirit will have freedom to work in each and every heart that's here tonight. Use this message for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. In these verses we find Jesus addressed to the fourth church, the other seven if you remember. And this is the fourth church. Unlike the other cities that we've studied, you know, we talked about some that were major cities at the time that uh, politically or even religiously major cities in, in those areas. But Thyatira was neither a large nor important city. It was just kind of a small town out in the middle of, uh, of modern day Turkey and, and at that time what was called Asia Minor. The town was small and it seems that the church there was also small as well. And we know some of you grew up in small towns. Uh, and some of you grew up when Orlando was a small town. Uh, and we know that just because a city is small doesn't mean that it has any less sin or corruption in it uh, than a big city does. Uh, the only reason a big city may be more corrupted or have more sin is just they have more people and more opportunity to do those things or, or be involved with those things. But a small town has got just as much corruption, just as much sinfulness as any other town does. Uh, any other town does. Now, Thyatira definitely had a share of ungodliness, and we will find that the church had allowed some of its environment to creep in. And so we find here in our verses that Jesus first praised the church for some finer points. If you look at verse 19, he says, I know your works. Now, he says this to every single church. He says, I know your works and your charity, which means love, and your service and faith and patience and your works. And the last to be more than the first. And so he, he brings out their finer points. He talks about the good things that have been going on. This was a loving church. It was a faithful and a hardworking church. It had even grown in its service and its love to the Lord, as we see at the end of verse 19. But there was something that Jesus had against this church of Thyatira. Now, I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus says to this church. Close attention to the things that he brings out, to the things that they are accused of. Because there are some good points to the church here at Thyatira. They, again, they were loving. They had been faithful in some areas. They had been hardworking. All those things were true of this church at Thyatira. But there was a problem. And until or unless this problem got fixed, there are going to be some dire consequences involved here as well. And so we're going to look at a couple of reasons why uh, Jesus had some things against this church. Now, the first reason, uh, the first thing they had against them was that they were a corrupt church. If you look in verse 20 with me, he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because you suffered that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, to really get uh, a broad scope of what's going on here, uh, just as he referenced Balaam to another church, he references Jezebel to this church. If you remember the story of Jezebel, uh, she was a queen who had caused Israel to fall into idolatry. And uh, and the type of idolatry that they had fallen into uh, came with it all kinds of perverse and just weird and ungodly uh, forms of worship. And we're not, not going to go into more details there, but I'm just saying that this church was very, or uh, at that time Israel had become very corrupt with idolatry. Now he says, I have a few things against you because you've let that woman Jezebel come in and bring this stuff into your church. And so he's making a reference to what happened back in the Old Testament. And evidently what had happened was uh, there, was a, there was someone who was teaching a false doctrine there in the church of Thyatira. And with this, this 
uh, idolatry and these false doctrines were, were also coming some very promiscuous activities, uh, lascivious activities uh, for those that, you know, if you know what those words mean. And Jesus says, this has to stop right now. This has got to stop now. Now, the problem with this church seems to be just the opposite of Ephesus. You see, Ephesus would not tolerate sin, but they had lost their love. Thyatira, as we find in these verses, was a loving church. He says, I know your love. I know your charity. They were a loving church, but they were sinful. Now, Jesus didn't beat around the bush here. He laid out their guilt. They had been sexually, morally, and spiritually impure. And Jesus was not okay with this in the least. Now let me say that of all the generations of Christians that have existed through the ages, I don't believe there is one who has been more corrupted than the generation that we see right here, right now. Maybe as corrupt but none more corrupt than what we're seeing in our own nation, in our own society, in this generation that's going on right now. Now listen, I've talked about in the book of Judges that cycle of sin where we've seen it start somewhere. And listen, what's going on in our nation right now, it started somewhere. Somebody slacked up somewhere. And then it just began to spin out of control Uh, with the next decade, the next decade, the next decade. It's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And I'm going to tell you, I do love technology. I I mean, I do. I I love my iPhone. I love my computer. I I love all the things we have with technology. I love the fact that I can just get on the Internet and, you know, if I need to know something, just get in there and look at it. Now, I don't use that as much as I should. And uh, what's funny is I've actually called my grandma one time. I said, hey, grandma, you know about this? She said, why don't you just look it up on the Internet? (laughs) Like, I don't know. I didn't think of that. You know, but we have everything that we need. What seems like limitless knowledge at our fingertips with this technology. Well, I'm going to tell you, it has spiraled us into all kinds of ungodliness and acceptance of ungodliness. And uh, we're in an age now, listen, I don't know how it could get worse, but I believe it can get worse. I believe it can get much worse. And we need to be very cautious of this. And listen, when I talk about a generation that's being corrupt, I'm not just talking about our nation. And I'm not just talking about our culture. I'm talking about our churches. Because I have seen this. I have experienced this. That when a church is placed in a local community, that many times what we see going on in that community starts affecting what's going on in the church. It was happening in the seven churches of Asia. And what's so interesting is that many of the things that Jesus addresses to the church in those cities, those were very things that historically were going on in that city. A local church has been placed in a town or a community to impact and influence that city or that village or that community for Christ, not to have that church impacted for the world. But often things are reversed. And I'll tell you, as long as I can remember being in church, as long as I can remember, I can remember things that were going on in the church 
that were ungodly, that were wrong, that were sinful. And, uh, and some people in the church that were just as bad as anybody I knew at school or anybody I knew outside of church. And I'm going to tell you, that could creep into this church as well. And Satan has become so sneaky with how he can do that. He is so sneaky and so crafty, so subtle sometimes that we don't even see what we're doing. And I'll tell you, I I think uh, the movie culture, I think the music culture is just a great example of how Satan get a foot in the hearts and lives of God's people without them ever even knowing it. I created a scenario here that I want you to give some thought to. I want you to imagine a family who is in church every single Sunday. Anybody know some families like that? Every single Sunday, they're in church. The husband or the father holds a position of respect. The mother's an active worker with the youth. The children are active. They're there every time the doors are open. They're faithful to give. Uh, they tithe every son, or every time that they have an opportunity. They're willing to serve. And if there's a need for a volunteer, they're the first to raise their hands. They're, they're active. Uh, they're, uh, they, they are exemplary in everything uh, that they do. They're active all throughout the church. Um, and then they drive home and resume their real lives. Now, you see, at church, they are the picture-perfect Christians. Their hair is neat. Their clothes are always nice. They're always active. They're always working. They're leading in prayer. They're leading your children. They're leading in all sorts of areas. But when they get home, they have a completely different life. At home... R-rated movies are the norm. The language is filthy. They have to tell their kids to hide their eyes from time to time. But the movies are good overall, so it's not really that bad. You know, you take a little, give a little. They listen to music with lyrics that only speak of lust, adultery, drunkenness, drugs. And even violence, but it's got a good beat. We were sitting in a, a restaurant today, and uh, you know, I, I didn't even think about this when we walked in, but uh, this, this place plays country music the whole time. And I remember even saying, of all the music I hate, I hate this the most. <laughs> I can't stand country music. But I, was, I also listen to lyrics. I'm, a big, I'm big on lyrics. I want to know what this song is saying. And I wouldn't always like that. But I want to listen. I want to listen to what's going on. So there was a song that was playing, and Kylie was even like, what in the world is this song? But it, it was talking about, I guess, his girlfriend had broke up with him, and so he's working hard on getting over her. And, and, uh, and so he, I don't know, he's, he's gone out and got drunk and done all these crazy things. And he's talking about all his friends are telling him what happened uh, the next day and stuff like that. And, and, and I, I'm just listening to the lyrics of the song and everything that's going on. It's got a good beat to it. I mean, the music sounds all right. His voice made me want to use my fork in my own ear. But, uh, you know, I, but I'm listening to the song and I'm going, 
What in the world? And people, and I'm hearing people around singing the song. But I tell you, you turn to any radio station. You go right now to your car. You turn on any radio station, and you're going to hear lyrics talking about sex, drugs, alcohol. I mean, you name it, they're singing about it. They have pushed the limits. They found where where the limitations are, and they have pushed it all the way there. And they're going to sing about and do whatever they can get away with. And I promise you, your television is going to do the same. They know where those boundaries are, and they're going to push them, and they're going to push them further and further and further back. And what I'm saying to you is, it's not just unsaved people who are listening to this music. I'm talking about Christians. Church members are listening to this music at all times. Words are slipping out of this family's mouth that should never slip out. They have addictions that they can't seem to break. They're living with the constant guilt of sin and they're raising their children to be twice the sinners that they are. Jesus' words to the Pharisees speak so clearly to this generation. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are likened to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I'm just going to speak from the heart for a second. But there are times that I wonder, and I've heard some of you ask the same questions. You wonder. How can a church that holds the truth of God's Word, how could a church that works so hard and is so faithful in so many ways, how could a church like that not grow? Why can't we seem to get traction Why do we not experience the Spirit of God moving and working in our church the way that others talk about? And every one of us could easily name other churches that are exploding with growth. And some of that may be because of compromises that they have made, but some of that may be something else. And yes, they might not have every single doctrine down exactly the way that we think that they should, but they're growing. And God's blessing. And we can't take that away from them. And I can't tell you how many hours, how many tears that I have shed over this. Why can't we just get some traction? Why can't we just move forward? And every time it seems we come back is because all the ingredients are there. But we have put up our own wall that prevents us from moving forward. And it is with the ungodliness, the worldliness, the sinfulness that we've allowed to come into the lives of our church members. And I mean that across the board. Because God often has to convict me of 
what I let come into my ears. What I let pass through my mind. But I'm going to tell you this. When a church is puffed up about their sin. When a church is corrupted in such a way, there's no way that it can grow. And I, listen, I'm not saying that we're a corrupt church. And I'm not saying y'all are a bunch of sinful people and that's why we can't grow and stuff like that. What I'm telling you is, is that there may be some things that need to be repented of if we are to move forward. There may be some things, just like in this church of Thyatira, some things that are going on right here in our group. That God is saying, until this is repented of, until this has gotten out of the way, you're not moving forward. You can keep teaching the same old good doctrine and singing the same old good songs and doing the same old things. But until this is taken away, you're not moving forward. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to drink out of a dirty glass. And God's not going to use a dirty church. Now, these things may not apply on all levels to everyone that is here, but in a group this size, I know that it has to be describing someone. And we can close our ears, we can hide our eyes all we want, but the guilt is there. And Jesus is looking to the hearts of every person, every family, and He's saying, I know your works. And you might fool everybody else sitting out there, but I know what's really going on behind closed doors. I know what's really going on in your hearts. I know what's really going on in your houses. The church was unrepentant. We see in verse 21. He says, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Now please understand, this was not the first warning for this congregation. Jesus had given them time to turn away from their sin. And there is no doubt in my mind that if He had given them time, that He had warned them through His Word, somehow, some way, whether it's from the pastor or just lessons that were going on or just the Spirit working mightily in the church, He had gripped their hearts with His Spirit and convicted them of their sin. But they were stubborn and they were selfish and they were unwilling to change. They said, just like we accused others of saying this morning, we will not have this man to rule over us. Now, Jesus, you can save me in my sins. And Jesus, you can fix all my problems. When I'm broke, you can give me money. When I'm having problems at home, you can fix those. When I'm doing all these things for you and and I need something, you can take care of those needs. Whatever it is, Jesus, you can do all that that you want. Give me all the good stuff you got. But don't you dare tell me how to live my life. Don't you dare tell me what I can watch. Don't you dare tell me what I can listen to. Don't you dare tell me what's right or wrong. And whether we said that with our mouths, I'm telling you, people are saying it with their actions. Child of God, I want to say that if you've been living a life that is filled with corruption, I believe with all my heart that God's been dealing with you. 
I believe he has. I don't think there's any way that you could sit under the preaching of God's word, sit in a class, or read your Bible without God some way, somehow, convicting you and letting you know what's going on in your life. You heard message after message, but have you turned from your sin? You've been convicted over and over, but have you surrendered that part of your life to God? God has given you time. He's given you chance after chance and opportunity after opportunity. But have you truly repented? You see, your words are not enough. And there's something, there's a truth that we've got to learn somewhere. And that's that the words, I'm sorry, don't fix everything. You can tell God you're sorry all you want. But when you stand up and you turn right back to the very same thing you said you're sorry for, mm-hmm. that's not going to fix anything. Amen. How many times have you asked forgiveness? I bet you there's, there's something in your heart right now, right now, your mind right now that's popped in there. And you know that God's been dealing with you about that. You know that, that you have asked forgiveness for that over and over and over and over again and turn back to it. How many promises have you made? Lord, I promise. I promise I will not do this again. I promise I'm going to try to do that better. I promise I'm going to give my life to you. I, I promise, Lord. How many tears have you shed? then you get right back up and get right back to it. True repentance is not stating your sin to God. It's turning from it. Amen. And yes, you need to confess your sins to God. You need to confess your sins to God. But there's another word there that's, that's got to be connected to the word confess, and that is the word Repent. Which means that you not only acknowledge and say, God, yes, I know and I admit that what I've done is wrong. But then you turn the other direction. And you don't look back. The church will be judged, we find, as we continue reading there. It says, Behold, I will cast her in a bed. And then they commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. I think in another way he was saying, Church, if you finish making this bed, I'm going to make you lie in it. He says, I will cast her into a bed with them that commit adultery in great tribulation, except they repent of the deeds. Verse 23, and I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the reins and hearts. And I will give every one of you according to your works. In every letter to the churches, Jesus has introduced Himself in a way that was specific to their issues. We talked about that as we went along, but I want you to look at verse 18. And this is how Jesus introduces Himself. He says, Unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith who? The Son of God, who has his eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine 
brass. Both fire and brass are symbolic of judgment. And Jesus said, unless these people in your church repent, I will catch them in their sin and I will bring judgment upon them. And all the churches will know that I am the one who searches the heart. Know this. Your sin will find you out. And you're either going to confess that and repent of it in the privacy of your relationship with God, or you're going to keep on and God's going to make a public example of you. Now please understand, it wasn't the whole church at Thyatira that was doing this. It was not the whole church. It was some in the church. There was a few. A few among maybe the majority who had just allowed so much sinfulness and so much worldliness to come into their lives that Jesus said, unless these people get this fixed, this church is not moving forward. Instead, you're going to have judgment come upon you. Now listen, Jesus is love. And that's the truth. He is merciful, He is forgiving, He is patient, He's kind, He's understanding. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you need to know that there's a time when Jesus draws the line. When Jesus says, no more. And like any good father, God will punish children who are disobedient. He says that in verse 23. The Lord will not tolerate corruption. He won't tolerate it in His church. And He won't tolerate it in His children. I want us to look at some of the final things that He says here. Now remember I said this wasn't the whole church that that these things were going on with. And so He says if those do not repent then I will bring judgment. But He says but unto you I say unto the rest in Thyatira verse 24 as many as have not this doctrine as many who have not corrupted themselves with this which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak. He says I will put upon you no other burden but that when you have already hold fast till I come. In other words he says to the rest of the church he says you're doing right and you keep doing right. You hold that and you continue in it as, as hard as you can until I come. He says, And he that overcomes and keeps my word unto the end, to him will I give power of the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received my Father. And I will give them the morning star. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, Jesus is just, isn't he? And he is fair. Because we have in Thyatira, we have a church who has some corruption in it. But there are still some good things that are going on in the church. And Jesus doesn't say that I'm going to discipline or I'm going to correct the entire church because of what's going on. He says, I am going to correct them. But you who are still doing right, he promised blessings to them if they will hold fast. And continue on and watch right. But I'll tell you this. That whoever those few were. Whoever they were. May have just been one. I think more likely it was a handful. 
But whoever they were, they were the ones who were keeping that church from moving forward. There were others who were faithful, others who were loving, others who were true. But until those repented of their sin and got that fixed, the church was going to be hindered. I heard a story of a man one time. I don't know if it's true. You hear a lot of stories when preachers are preaching. I heard a story of a man one time who stood in church and led in prayer. He said, Lord, if there's anyone who's hindering this church, if there's anyone, maybe he had somebody in mind when he said it, if there's anyone that's hindering this church from moving forward, I pray that you'll take them out of the way. Story is, he died that week. He was the one. I don't know if that's true or anecdotal, but I'm just saying that if you're the one, I don't want you to die. I want you to repent. I want you to get it right. To have a heart that that is filled with love and dedication, faithfulness, purity. To pay attention to what you've allowed to come into your house, into your heart. And I say to myself that any of those areas that God finds me lacking in, that I want to make those right immediately. Now listen, there's things that go on in a church. And after a while, I don't think we know why we do it. We just think that the, uh, the, the ends becomes the means sometimes. And I'm going to tell you, there, there was a time in churches when an invitation was given that altars would be full. And I think somehow we've gotten to this point where we think that it's people being at the altars that makes a church great again or that that makes a church uh, right with God. It's not being at the altar that does that, but it is what we're doing at the altar. And I think there's a whole lot more of that that needs to be going on than what we see going on in churches today. I think there's something about us coming to the front acknowledging whatever's going on in our lives and falling before God and not caring what anybody else thinks about it because I'm going to tell you you don't have anybody else to answer to it but you do have to answer to Him to those in the church who were still living in His will Jesus gave encouragement He promised reward but to those who were guilty of corruption He left them with a looming command He said repent Repent. And notice that before he struck with judgment, he offered one more opportunity of change. And I believe he offers the same to us today. 